What's going on, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Hamilton Train Podcast. If you are new here, welcome. I'm super glad to have you listening to today's episode. Uh, my name is Jared Hamilton. If you and I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, now, today's episode, you're in for a treat because I wanted to interview my friend Kim Schlag on today's episode because uh, a couple reasons. Number one, she's fucking awesome. And number two, she brings a whole other perspective and experience level than I do when it comes to dealing with things like uh, middle-aged female weight loss. Because a lot of this stuff, like I'll tell you, but I haven't personally had kids and I haven't personally been through, you know, I'm not 50. I haven't been through, you know, all the other women, middle-aged stuff that you guys go through. Um, so I wanted to have someone on here who knows what the hell they're talking about, who's been through all this stuff and who gets it and can bring it from an actual life experience side of perspective, because Kim is to give you a little bit of, if you don't know her already, cause you'll want to follow her after you, if you hear this, you're definitely going to want to start following her. Um, Kim is almost 50. She has kids. She has been obese. She has struggled and suffered through, you know, trendy diets and with her weight and emotional eating and all sorts of crazy shit that she'll get into. And she's now on the other side of it, teaching people how to, how to handle all this stuff for their own lives. So this is exactly why you should be listening to her. So I'm going to shut up now and get her on the line. You're going to get a lot of value from this. I'll talk to you just a second. All right. All right. We're, we're into this thing. All right, Kim. So thank you so much for hopping on here and, uh, and let me interview you. This is, I've been wanting to do this one for a little while. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> so now in case anyone's not very familiar who you are, what your story is or any of that stuff, just kind of talk about yourself for a minute and, uh, just who you are, what your story is and why the hell anybody should listen to you. Okay, well, my children would probably argue nobody should listen. I'm a mom of teenager. No one listens to me around here. I love it. So, um, who I am, and so I am a formerly obese person. Jared, can you still hear me? Your video seems to have frozen. I'm going to yes, keep I talking can. unless you tell me otherwise. Yeah, um, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. So, um, I am a formerly obese person. I struggled with my weight through most of my adult life. I was not heavy as a kid. I was not heavy as a teenager. Um, when I started having babies, when I turned 30, I started gaining quite a bit of weight and never really lost it with each kid. Um, before that, I was always one of those girls trying to lose five pounds. I always wanted to lose five pounds perpetually. Um, but I really started gaining weight in my 30s. And by the end of my 30s, I was obese. I tried every fad diet that there is and would lose and gain the same weight, sometimes to great success. I you know by the time I was 40, I was, I was pretty slim and gained most of it back yet again. Um, and it wasn't until I finally got a handle on um, actually exercising and not doing fad diets that I was able to make the changes stick. Mm. And after that, um, I started coaching other people to do it, got certified to be a trainer, got certified in nutrition. Um, and now I spend my days helping other people to stop, you know, yo-yo dieting and get strong and build muscle. I love it. Well, and that's actually really why I wanted to get you on here because, um, I really wanted you to hammer on the front of, um, women and being strong and essentially a lot of the, the well, for, first of all, how most women are scared to get strong and they think that either that it's not okay to be strong, they're going to get like, they are going to look like the Hulk. But then like, there's one thing for me to like call out a lot of the bullshit that a lot of like, um, 
the middle-aged female community talk about like, I'm too old. Um, ever since I had my kid, I can't get off my weight. My hormones are fucked up, all this stuff. But I'm a guy, I'm a young guy saying that and that all that's bullshit. And you and I both know it's bullshit, but it's a, a young guy saying that. So I would really love for you to really dive in and talk about um, those things. That's why I wanted you on here. Awesome. Well, look, I personally think you're very credible saying that because you're totally right. It is BS. It, it is, but we believe it. And I think people can, I think you're right. Like people look at me and they're like, oh, well, she, I'm turning 50 this year, by the way. Oh yeah. Let's go. I'm turning 50. <laughs> right. I'm turning 50. I lift heavy weight. I lift four times a week. I lift a lot of weight. I lift often. And if you look at me, I am not a big person. I am five, three, you know, 132 pounds. I'm lean. Um, so, and I'm not an anomaly, like I'm not any kind of, you know, special snowflake here. This is what happens when you get your diet under control and lift weights. And when I say lift heavy, lift heavy for you, it should be weight that is challenging for you. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a power lifter to be lifting heavy. You need to be taxing your body, you know, and we can't, and I don't know if women are, women, I don't think are necessarily afraid to get strong. I think they're intrigued by the idea of getting strong. Mm. They're afraid to get big. They don't want to get big. I haven't met a woman yet who hasn't told me like that she has some interest in getting strong. Sometimes it takes a while, but usually they'll say like, you know, I kind of always have wanted to be able to do a push up or do a pull up or, you know, they'll see other women doing things. And they're like, I want to do that. But they do worry like, what's going to happen to me physically? Am I going to look manly? Am I going to have big biceps? And that's not what most mm -hmm. women want. Some women want that, um, but it's not what they want. And so for them to see evidence of other women doing it, really helps. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk about on the front of uh, a lot of women think that as soon as like things are, are kosher from like the age they're born till 39. But then as, the, as soon as the clock strikes 40 on their birthday, it's like God snapped his fingers and you're fucked. It's I'd love <laughs> to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the big problems is that there's so much hype out there about what happens as we age and it's all bad and it's all downhill. And so we internalize that and we start to believe it. And when you start to believe those things, you see those things in 100%. yourself and it might not have anything to do. It doesn't have necessarily anything to do with your age. It has to do with your behavior, but you're attributing what's happening to your body to age. Now it's a fact that once we hit the age of 30, if we do not do anything to reverse it, we will lose muscle mass. If you're not eating enough protein and strength training, you will lose muscle mass, which means you're going to not look as great as you used to. So you combine that with the fact that, you know, the average diet is pretty crappy. You are not looking so great there. You then also, if you hit menopause sometime in your 40s, when that happens, the drop in estrogen means that we tend to store fat in our bellies. It is not a sentence that you will have a fat belly, but when you're in menopause, if you have excess weight, there's a good chance you're going to store it in your belly. You can lose that weight just the same as anybody else. It might come off their last. All of that combined makes us kind of throw our hands in the air like, woe is me, this is what, this is how it is. Like I'm older, I'm hitting menopause. What we need to wrap our brains around the fact is that we have control over all of those things. We can get into the gym and lift, we can fix our diet, and you can be patient enough to, if you really want a flat stomach in menopause, you can have it. It's yeah. a matter of staying in your deficit long enough to have the fat come off your belly. And so no, it's not that. out of our control. We just feel like it is. And then we don't take control of our behaviors because it feels like, woe is me, all is lost. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I would totally agree with that. Now, do you find that a lot of people, men and women, not just like a, just middle-aged women, but um, I feel like a lot of people are super quick to um, just throw up any and every excuse in the book and not necessarily put in any effort and consistency. Like most people I know who are quick to blame their age, hormones, metabolism, they had kids, whatever, they haven't tracked their calories for more than like 14 days or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, we use the word excuse and it is, but I don't even know that most people are doing that on purpose. They genuinely believe it because it feels like it's telling the true story because the reality is losing weight is hard. And if you give it some effort, but you're not doing it effectively and it's not working, there is the distinct feeling of like, well, I've tried and it doesn't work for me. And we start looking for those reasons. It's my age, it's my metabolism. When in reality, the problem was you probably weren't going about it the most effective way and you weren't being consistent enough because people don't realize what that actually looks like. It's friggin' hard and it takes yeah. long and it's slow. And so when people can really grasp onto the idea of, ah, this is what it actually looks like and this is how long it takes and I'm not doing anything wrong. I just have to keep doing it. That's when they win. And so I don't think people are looking for excuses. I think they really believe it based on their experience that their metabolism is broken or they're too old or it just doesn't work for them. Okay. No, I like that. I like that. So let me ask you this. Someone, uh, whether in your coaching program or hits you up on Instagram or whatever, then they're like, listen, Kim, uh, I've tried everything. Nothing works. Uh, I really think my hormones are out of whack or it's just something about me being 42 and a half. What, what should I do? Where do you take that person? Usually I, I lead the conversation to tell me what you have tried. What did that look like? How long did it last? You know, try and figure out what they were doing um, and what they weren't doing. And what it usually comes down to is they either tracked calories very inconsistently or they had never tried it. Um, and then I usually challenge them to 30 days of extreme consistency. I detail what that would look like um, with counting their calories, counting their protein, and at least getting some movement in. I'm not going to say like, look, if you're not at the gym yet, now you have to hit the gym, but at least getting some movement in while um, dialing in their calories and, you know, contact me in 30 days and tell me what happens. And almost inevitably somebody's like, wow, like I'm starting to lose weight. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's cool. Now, let me ask you this. I'm curious. I've always, everyone has their, uh, their different opinions and philosophies on it. Now, when you come across someone who uh, mentally isn't comfortable with counting calories, like they've had just some, like they get calorie deficit is the rule, but like the thought of counting calories, like throws them into a panic attack. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go about, you know, basically helping someone lose weight without counting where it's not necessarily appropriate in that moment? Yeah, I have, I definitely have a subset of clients who prefer to not count calories at all. Um, and they have lost weight very successfully. So typically the approach I follow is a habit-based, well, I don't know why I said typically, it is the approach I follow, a habit-based <laughs> um, habit uh, approach to weight loss. So the idea is they're going to be put in a calorie deficit by stacking various habits one on another. It's going to do that indirectly. They're not going to actually track their calories. They're going to track things like not try, they're going to like eat a certain number of meals per day, right? And we're going to decide what that meal frequency is going to be. They're going to practice eating those meals undistracted. And they're going to practice learning what does it feel like when I'm hungry? Because we think we know, you know, and how can we wait a little bit more to be, to be hungry for just a little bit longer? That's our cue to eat when we feel actual physical hunger. And we practice like what's the difference between emotional eating and 
actual physical hunger. What does one feel like versus the other? And then we practice how do we stop eating when we're satisfied, not just when the food is gone, and doing things like that. And then after all that, we tackle like, all right, what's actually on your plate? And we get them to be eating more protein and more vegetables. Um, and doing all of that puts them in a calorie deficit. No, I love that. Um, you know what's you, the you just said it, and I think it's one of the most underutilized secrets behind all of this is just the simple fact of eating when you're legitimately hungry, but then cutting it and stopping it when you're legitimately full. I think yeah. that right there is one of the most like hidden gems that nobody thinks about because it's not exciting or sexy, and you can't throw it in a bottle and sell it for sixty nine ninety nine. And a lot of times we think we're hungry. We're like, I only eat when I'm hungry. And really what we do, we eat at the first sign. Like if something smells good, all of a sudden we're like, oh, I'm hungry. Well, really <laughs> we're not. It's like we really start paying attention to it. We're just having a craving because, you know, um, Annie Ann's pretzels at the mall sound freaking delicious when you smell yep. them, right? And now you're hungry. But maybe you wouldn't have been hungry had you not smelled that. So it's really learning like what is actual true physical hunger feel like? And, you know, it's something people have to practice. So if you, if you're not sure yet, you can practice by waiting. So if you, if you think you're hungry and it comes on suddenly, that's usually one clue that it's not true hunger. True hunger comes on steadily over time and builds. You feel it in your stomach. That's where you feel it. It's not something in your head. It's not a thought or a smell that triggers it. And then you wait. And if you wait for a while and that hunger subsides, that was not true hunger. And this all takes practice because we don't do it, right? We just you know, I want to eat this and I want to eat that and snack all day. And which is also really detrimental to learning what true hunger feels like, you know, snacking all day long. We don't ever let ourselves feel hungry. Yeah, no, no, no. I totally agree with that. Now, now let me ask you this uh, kind of as a segue into to, to where hunger, hunger and cravings kind of mesh. Is there a specific way that you like to handle, uh, handle cravings? Like if someone's just like, they've been craving like, uh, you know, double stuffed Oreos for the last week or whatever. How do you go about cravings? Do you like to incorporate moderation? Do you like to have a specific uh, system around it? Do you say, uh, just don't give in to every craving? Like, how do you like to handle cravings? I'm going to give everybody's least favorite answer in the world. It depends. Um, yeah, it depends I love on it. The, <laughs> it depends on the individual and what's been happening. Uh, the first thing I would suggest to people, usually almost across the board, is Let's get that out of your environment, whether, you know, let's not have Oreos in the house. And then we would decide, all right, for you, is it going to work better if we say, you know, you're going to go out and get like a single serve packet of Oreos, like a little sleeve at the gas station once a week so you can have your Oreos? Is that going to be what works for you? Is it going to work better for you to like, let's just not have Oreos for a couple of weeks and see how that goes? So that would be the first thing I would say is let's get the immediate environment cleaned up. Then we would start practicing likely, for a lot of people, what I do is practicing having it in moderation in a way that you can be very controlled, whether that means like, I'm going to go out and have a scoop of ice cream because I'm not going to like keep getting back in line to buy another right. scoop of ice cream, right? Or does it mean like I now buy single serve ice creams that I put in my house and I can approach it that way. Putting space between you and the thing you're craving really works. Whether that means, you know, if you're at home and you're just craving sweets and you could get any sweet in the house. Um, one of the things that I would say is tell yourself, if I still want it in 20 minutes, I'm going to have it. And then use the next 20 minutes to do something else away from that thing. Like don't walk around with a bag of cookies in your hand, <laughs> put it away, right? <laughs> Cause you're going to be thinking about cookies, put it away and go actively do something else, you know, and maybe best of all is to move yourself from that floor of the house. Sure. So, you know, go down to your family room and play with your kids, go up to your bedroom and read a book, do something active. 
and see. A lot of times what you find is the craving has subsided and it gives you space to make a logical decision and remind yourself of your goals. If you can wait 20 minutes and you still really want it and you logically are like, you know what, I know I'm gonna be over my calories, but I still want a donut. Eh, there's your donut. You still hey. want a donut? Go get the donut, right? It's not gonna, it's in the no, like you just get right back on track. That donut should then not signal like, now I'm gonna eat three more donuts. Right? Sure. So there's a lot of putting space between you and that moment can really help using that time to process like, what are my goals really? And just distract yourself. That can really help. No, I, I, I love that. Well, and cause I think a lot of people start when, in terms of um, handling cravings and strategies behind that, I think a lot of people start off really well and they say, get in out of the house, clean the environment up. But I feel like they stop there and it gets to a point of no return when they're like, mm -hmm. okay, there's only fruit and chicken in the house and I'm about to like eat drywall and pretend it's ice cream. And, <laughs> and I, I think a lot of people stop there and it's a really good place, but obviously something has to be continued, whether like getting moderation in a controlled environment or saying, you know, I will go get a the little teeny tiny thing of Ben and Jerry's for $3 at Kroger or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I like yeah. that a lot. And for some people having certain things in the house, look, I like sweets a lot, but there are certain sweets I can have in my house and eat in moderation. I don't keep cereal on my house because I really struggle with it. Like I will overeat cereal inevitably. It's just really sad that cereal servings are so small anyway. So it's really right. easy to do to overeat it, right? So I don't keep my favorite cereals in the house, but I can keep other stuff in my house. And then if I want a snack, like I have hot chocolate a lot because I can eat hot chocolate in moderation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to say to ourselves, I can't keep anything in my house. And I think the way we define ourselves in our brain is really important. If we keep telling ourselves like we're weak and we can't give into cravings, it makes us actually feel like that. We're a weak yeah. person and we can't do it, right? But that doesn't mean you can't set rules for yourself. I don't keep pretzels in my house and I don't keep cereal in my house until such time as I'm like, you know what? It's going to be a cereal week. We're going to bring some cereal in. I'm going to enjoy my cereal. It's a, or I'll go out and I'll buy, see, I, they have single serve Lucky Charms. Yeah. That's like my lifesaver. I buy those and I'm like, okay, I'm having this today. So I think not telling ourselves you can have it or that we are weak is really important. No, I would totally agree with that. I think, you know, a lot of these underlying things with this whole fat loss game um, and strategies to be successful long-term is all comes down to uh, self-awareness. And I feel like that's like one of the not very sexy character traits. It's like discipline. Like we all know we should be disciplined and it's, it's like the underlying premise of this, but I think self-awareness is right up there. You know, if you know, if I know donuts are my hot button and I probably shouldn't have a dozen donuts on my countertop, but I could have a big giant thing of ice cream in my, my freezer. I could be that. I think having that level of self-awareness is severely underrated. Yeah. And it comes down to the idea that all this stuff with your nutrition, all the stuff that's going to help a person lose weight and keep it off. It's about practice. And we think we should be able to master this stuff like that, right? Because it's eating and we're human. So we should know how to do it, but we really don't. And so it's about practice and being okay with like, I am practicing being a person who eats ice cream in moderation. I am practicing being a person who um, eats cereal in moderation or whatever it is. Like, I have personally come up with strategies that I can include cereal in my diet without being crazy about it. That took me time and energy and practice. And the strategies that I use might be different than one my clients use. And we go through lots of different trial and error phases to see what will work for them. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like a lot of people have, when it comes to progress on something they struggle with, there's a lot of, uh, it has to be perfect or I'm failing kind of mentality where like, if let's say someone would binge on cereal, uh, every other day, 
in their head, they have to get to where they don't struggle for that to be a success versus if someone goes in my, in my opinion, if someone goes from binging on cereal every other day to let's say a couple random times a month, like that's massive progress. But most people yeah. are so caught up in their own heads. I was talking with a client about this yesterday that it, they, she, there's such a black and white, uh, all in all out mentality where it's like, no, I have to either struggle or be perfect for there to be progress. Whereas, yeah. you know, there's, there's so much middle ground, you know, Absolutely. You know, I was talking to a client earlier this week and she, she, uh, she's been with me since the spring. She hit her goal weight beginning of the fall and wanted to work on maintenance and building some muscle. Um, so we've been doing that. And when she got to Christmas, she kind of struggled with all of the food and she, she got through the month and she said to me, she's like, I'm starting to think like this idea of me totally having a good relationship with food is going to go on forever. She's like, does it ever get totally perfect? And I had to tell her, I'm like, no, like I still hmm. practice this stuff. Yeah. You know, like there are times when I will still mindlessly eat over the holidays. Everybody in my family was sick. Everybody was barfing. It was right mm. after Christmas. The house looked like a war zone. I was so stressed from like, we hosted Christmas Eve dinner and then it was Christmas morning and then everybody got sick. And like, I absolutely stress ate, you know, I'm, I'm a fat loss coach. I shouldn't be stress eating, right? I recognized what I was doing. I totally did it on purpose anyway. I'm like, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> you know? But I, that's, that's so rare for me these days. That was my norm. Like that's how yeah. I lived my 20s and 30s and into my 40s. And so, yeah, like I think wrapping our brains around the fact that it's a process and there will be things that will become super easy and second nature to you, but it doesn't mean you won't ever not struggle with them like permanently. Right, no, I totally agree. So let me ask you this. And so one of my, one of my favorite things to do is on podcasts is ask, is ask curveball questions that like, cause no, I, I hate giving like a pre-list of questions to anyone I'm interviewing. And I hate getting, when I'm being interviewed, I hate getting a pre-list of questions. Cause I'm like, yeah, no, it should just be a, a conversation. So here's what I want to ask. I want to know from just your thoughts on this. Um, what are the important things that no one is asking? Because people like you and me, we get asked a lot of fucking questions, but, my, but I'm curious what you think are the important things that nobody is asking. That's a really good question. <laughs> Ooh, you might need to like play the Jeopardy theme song for a minute while I think. That's a good question. Because <laughs> like, because I mean, in, anyone like, a, just like a personal trainer in a gym, let alone someone like you who has a, a really good following and a really engaged following, you get probably some of the most badass questions ever. But m at least in my experience, it's a lot of very similar questions, but a lot of people I, th I feel like aren't asking the best question. Like there, there's, there's this whole other list of questions that no one's asking that they should be asking. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, probably how do I how do I keep weight off permanently, right? Because I'm a yo-yo diet. I am a former yo-yo dieter. And so it's always top of mind. I don't want to just help people lose weight. I want to help people lose weight and never have to do it again. 100%. In an ideal world. Or at least get them to the point where if they put on two or three pounds to know exactly what to do, right? So mm -hmm. I think the idea of like, how, how do I lose weight in a way that means I will forever have control over the situation? Not because everybody wants to lose weight now, right? They, how yeah. fast can I get this off? Not how fast can I get it off, but how can I permanently get it off? That's one thing I would say. Nobody, nobody ever DMs me and asks me that. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Like, I, I totally right? agree. It's always like, hey, I've got a wedding in two weeks. How can I lose 20 pounds? Not, hey, exactly. I've got a long game mindset. How can I lose weight sustainably for the next five years? Like it's, it's never yeah. that. Um, the other thing, and I don't know that I would expect people to ask this. I think they 
working with me, people come to realize it's a huge deal. And it's often the thing that they comment um, has been more life-changing than the physical changes is how can I, how can I improve my relationship with food? Because mm. a lot of people don't even realize how um, off kilter their relationship with food is, right? They don't realize how often they have guilt around food and anxiety around food. And um, when they start to peel those layers back and now they don't have that in their life, like that's not the ever present feeling in their life anymore. It's, that's the thing most people comment. They're like, I can't believe this. Like I can go to a party and enjoy food even in the middle of dieting. And the next day, like, I don't feel bad about myself. They're like, this is life-changing. You know, and these are mostly like middle-aged women. So we've been doing this to ourselves a really long time. And so that, that's a big one. No, that's awesome. Well, kind of feeding off of that, do you have like, obviously every person's different, like everybody's severity of problems and how everybody's situation is different, but is there like a general way or checklist, so to speak, you have when helping someone fix their relationships with food? Like someone's like, hey, I feel guilty every time I look at a brownie, like help me fix that. Like, is there a way you like to go around that? Yeah, probably the first thing that I usually tackle with most people is the idea of good versus bad foods, you know, that we assign moral value to food and donuts are bad and cake is bad and sugar cereal is bad and avocado is good and lettuce is good. You know, we have these very distinct lists in our mind. And even if we don't say that, like if I said, if I went up to somebody in the street and I'm like, what, what are the bad foods you eat? They would say those things I just mentioned and what good foods do you, right? So it's just like knee jerk instinct. And we don't realize the impact that that has on us, which means if we're trying to be healthier, if we're trying to um, lose weight, we feel bad if we include a donut in our diet, even if every other thing we ate that day was filled with vitamins and minerals and protein and got us exactly to the goal we wanted. If we ate the donut, we were a failure, right? Right. And that's crazy, but it's where we're at. And so helping, and usually what it takes is a period of time where First of all, I encourage them to do that. I'm like, you know, what are your favorite foods? Let's put some of that in there. And we change their language. We don't talk about them as like bad food versus good food. You know, sometimes, and I don't even really have a great term for these food. It's just food. Like sometimes I'll call them like sometimes food. Usually I'll call them like 80 or 20 foods. Like 80% of your food should be healthy, nutritious. It's giving you the things you need to live. The other 20% can be whatever you like. And if what you like is cake, eat some cake. You know, so changing our language around it is important. And then just experiencing like, hey, I can lose weight and still eat some ice cream. And once they've had that experience, they're like, this is insane. They can see that salad and French fries can go together on the same plate. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's crazy talk. And it's experience with it. So that's what I tackle first is good versus bad food. Coming close on the heels of that is the idea of scarcity about food. A lot of people don't even realize they did it. Some people grew up and didn't have much food in their house. That's not usually the issue though. Usually the issue is people who have yo-yo dieted and given themselves so many rules around food that food just always feels scarce, right? It feels like now's my chance. Like I'm gonna clean out all the bad food, right? Before Monday and once it's gone, like so it's this now's my chance idea around food. And so I like to help people realize they, they can have any food they want anytime they want. You can have pumpkin pie in June. There's no reason to eat all the pumpkin pie now. You can bake or buy or pay someone else to make you a pie, a pumpkin pie in July. You can. And so helping remove that idea of scarcity around food really kind of releases that pressure valve of like, 
I have to eat it all now. It's my only chance. So those are two of the big ones we tackle first. There's others, but those are two big ones. No, that, I think that's, that's, those two are, I would completely agree on, on my, how I handle it with clients too. And it's, it, I think a lot, especially the scarcity, I think a lot of people don't realize that's a thing. Um, I know for yeah. uh, when I had that realization for me, um, because I, I, it was in the exact same scenario where I think, you know, we live in such a, everything's prevalent society. Like we're literally on totally different states and you and I are FaceTiming and recording it. And it's going to go live globally. Like we live in that day and age, but people still are like, no, this is the last batch of brownies and I can't have any more ever again. <laughs> and that's right. almost the place they're coming from. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle where it's like, oh no, this is the last piece of pizza or the last pizza. It must be the last one on the planet. So I'm, I have to eat it like an asshole and smash the whole thing versus like, no, you could order Papa John's tomorrow night too. Exactly. And I think, I think a lot of people don't realize, I know I didn't, a long time I didn't realize I was operating out of a scarcity place where like, I acted like the pizza was the last on the planet, you know? Yeah, because we're like, okay, I'm starting this diet. I need three months with no pizza. And that feels like a really long time, right? Yeah. Whereas if you say like, pizza is my favorite food and I'm going to include it and in, I'm going to include it Friday night, like sweet. Like I get pizza Friday night. There's no reason I have to eat it all. You know, this last whole pizza on Saturday because mm -hmm. I'm getting it again next week. Yep. I totally agree. Now let me ask you this one. Here's another kind, not as bad of a curveball, but another one that I like to ask for you in your opinion with, with this game, what are some of the, what I call the unsung heroes of, of the fat loss? Like obviously calorie deficits big, obviously strength training's big, but like, like we talked about how, um, stop when you're full or eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full is like super underrated. So what for you and the way that you teach are some of the other like unsung heroes, so to speak with this game? Probably one of the biggest ones is getting your daily movement up. So there's mm. this big, stupid, fancy word, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we call it neat and I still have to get better because I put it down all the time. I'll be like getting my knee up and I get so many messages like, what does that mean? So getting your neat up literally means just moving more. So there's the calories in part of the calorie deficit and the calories out part. And where people focus is going to the gym and they're going to burn some calories, right? And first of all, I don't, I don't like thinking about going to the gym in the terms of burning calories. I want you to go to the gym in a fat loss phase and focus on getting stronger. We want you to build muscle in the gym. We want you to preserve your muscle in the gym. So don't be so dead set when you get in the gym about like, keeping your heart rate up and getting on a sweat, right? That's not what your focus should be. And even if it was, what are you there? Like an hour or three times a week? Let's right. say you do five, five hours a week, right? That's not very much time in the grand scheme of things. But if every day you are intentional about your movement, you will burn a lot of calories. And people don't realize how sedentary they are until they start to find a way to, to see that. Step trackers are great for that. Step trackers that don't worry about the calories it says you burned, that's, they're off. But they will give you a good trend for how much you're actually yeah. moving. And so it can be stunning. I did this for myself. This time last year is when I took my business fully online. I didn't have any more in-person clients. And so I put a step tracker on to see because now I'm doing what I'm doing right now here with you, yeah. Darren. I'm sitting in front of a computer a lot. I was getting like 2,500, 3,000 steps. That's nothing. Like that's totally nothing. That is a sedentary lifestyle. So I had to start building up. How am I going to find time in my day, make time in my day to move? And now I'm pretty good at it. Most people would be shocked when they start tracking their steps, how little they move. 
if you have a long commute, if you have a desk job, and then you, you, know, you drive to your job, you sit at your drive, you drive home from your job, then you drive your kid to basketball practice and you sit in the car while your kid's in basketball practice, okay? Changing that is way easier than you would think, right? So before you get in the car to drive, walk up and down the driveway five times. On, yeah. At work, set, set an alarm to go off and every time it goes off, walk to the furthest bathroom and come back. Do that all day long. On your lunch break, even take a five minute walk. You know, when your kid is at basketball practice, get up. Do not sit in the car. And I know it's tempting because you're tired, but it really is that important. It makes such a difference. Yeah, I mean, shoot, just that, those few habits alone over the course of a year, like over the course of a year, how like just taking the stairs instead of the escalator at your job, you go to nine to five every single day um, or, you know, whatever. Because I, I, that was something that I realized when I really made the switch and put all my business online. I'm like, man, I'm lazy as fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> like, like, or uh, in the transition period where I went all online, I was like one, I'd like on a Monday, I might be in the gym training clients like all day. And then a Tuesday I would be on my, behind my desk all day. And like, I would just look at that like BS health app on, uh, on my iPhone. And mm-hmm. it would, it would tell me like, on a day I had clients in the gym, just walking around a gym, I hit 10, 15,000 steps. I'm like, dope. But then like a day where I'm at my desk all day doing podcasts and check-ins and calls, I'd like might get in 2000. And I was mm-hmm. just like blown away. It's crazy. Yeah. And so it's being intentional about that. So I would suggest people, you know, get a super cheap step tracker. You can buy them on Amazon for like 13 bucks. You don't need an Apple watch. Pop it on get a baseline, see like how much do you move on a, on a daily basis and start trying to increase a little bit at a time. It doesn't have to be a big dedicated 30 minute walk. It could be, you might enjoy that. That might be a good stress reliever for you, but it can really be these little things, these little things you change. I don't take a phone call anymore unless I'm walking. I often go outside even when it's cold to walk. I at least pace around my house. You know, these are the things I have my clients do. One of them texted me the other night or emailed me the night and she's like, my kids are all putting me on Snapchat because it was like 10 o'clock at night and she was doing circles around the living room. (laughs) And they're like, you look crazy. She's like, I'm getting, I'm getting my 8,000 steps today. Um, You know, so you just find ways. Uh, Last night I was quizzing my daughter on her science and I got up from the table and I paced around the kitchen while I gave her her questions because I wanted to get some more movement in. So the space is there, we just have to find it. And it doesn't have to mean taking hours out of your day. It's just changing your habits. And eventually it'll get to the point where like, it's just second nature. It's just second nature. So, you know, if you're looking for a good goal, everyone, figure out where you're at now, start inching that up a little bit at a time, add 500 more steps on the first week, every day get 500 more. You know, eventually shoot to get somewhere between eight and 12,000. 10,000 is the number everyone has out there. It's not magic. You don't have to hit it. It's a great number. If, if weight loss is your goal, getting 10 to 12,000 is fantastic. General health, 8,000 is fantastic. But wherever you are now, go up slowly. Do not try and go from 2,000 to 12,000. You're going to feel like a big failure. It's really yeah. hard to do. It's really hard to do. And you don't have to do it that fast. No, I totally, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, especially for everybody listening, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of, uh, especially like when cutting calories too, or upping protein or something, a lot of people will go from like, they, they eat 50 grams a day and they really need like 200 and they'll go from 50 yeah. to 200 or like the steps, they'll be pretty sedentary at 2000, but then, you know, they're trying to hit 12,000 in like a day in yeah. like a 24 hour jump. And, and 
or they'll, they'll go from drinking alone 3000 calories and having 2000 of like actual food. And then they're like trying to cut down to 1500 calories. We're like, just slow as a whole is so much better, you know? Yeah, because it's sustainable. You know, if you try and change all of that at once, you can do it. Like, you, like we're pretty resilient as human beings. Like, sure. You know, hitting 12,000 steps, if you go to Disneyland one day, you're going to do that. But coming, doing that every single day when you've been at 2,000, it's going to start to feel wearing after a while. But whereas when you inch your way up there, it just becomes a part of who you are. And it feels like nothing. It doesn't feel like added stress. Yeah, nope, I completely agree. All right, wrapping things up. Last question. This is always one I like to ask. Someone runs into you at Starbucks and you've got about like five minutes and they're like, all right, Kim, your content's dope. How do I change my situation? Like what, and obviously you can't get too in depth in five minutes, but like what kind of conversation and advice would you give in like a Starbucks scenario, having five or 10 minutes that they can do right now to change their situation? Wow. Okay. Well, first of all, to be legitimate about how it would go, it would be mostly them talking and me asking questions. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that right here because that would be boring for you to listen to me pretend to listen to someone else, right? So most of it would be that. But what it would come down to in the end is helping them see where they were right then and what changes they could make to head in this direction. I'll tell you the four things that I would I would want to have looked at, and we would figure out which was where they were with each of these. Number one for fat loss, you said fat loss is the goal, right? They want to get, yes. they want to lose weight. Okay. Fat loss is the goal. Number one thing always has to be total calories. So getting a handle on their calories. Where are they now? Do they track? How do they feel about tracking? Are we going to do a different method than tracking? Well, we've got to get a hold on total calories in. That's number one. Second thing is going along with the nutrition piece is upping their protein. Most people are not eating. Most people are eating what you said is like around 50 grams. When I get new clients, Almost inevitably, they're somewhere around 50, sometimes even a little bit lower. So helping them, give them, giving them a little bit of a goal for a protein target, let's up your protein. Those are the two things. Third one I talked about is getting their need up. You gotta start moving. You gotta move. And then the fourth thing is strength training. What can they do to start actually pushing some weight in the gym? Do they need to get a trainer to help teach them? Do, you know, do they already know what to do and they have some equipment? Let's just start doing it. Let's start doing it once a week or twice a week. Those are the four places I would want them to go. No, I love that. That's so, that's so valuable. Just, just that little nugget alone. Like that's, that's awesome. Um, so I think, I think overall we've talked about a lot, have a lot of gold nuggets and we've talked about a lot of really good stuff. So let's say now somebody found you, they love this and they want to know where they can uh, just get into your ecosystem or learn more about you, coach with you, whatever, where can people find, find you at best? So Kim Schlag Fitness on Instagram. So my last name is Schlag, S-C-H-L-A-G. So I'm Kim Schlag Fitness on Instagram, Kim Schlag Fitness on YouTube. I'm on Twitter a bit, Kim Schlag Fitness, but with one S because they ran out of space for me. Uh-uh. Such a pain I know. <laughs> so those are the best places to find me. <laughs> 21st century, or uh, it's, that's crazy. Like yeah. <laughs> they ran out of S's. <laughs> Yep. No room for all my S's. <laughs> wow. That's Thanks great. so much for having me on here, yeah, Jared. Ab- this is super fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. This is, this is, this is good. All right, guys. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to today's episode of the Hamilton Train Podcast. It means a ton to me, and I know it means a ton to Kim. 
sticking around and listening to the whole episode. I hope you got a lot of value from it. Don't be afraid if like there's an episode like a longer one like this that really resonates with you and hits home. Don't be afraid to go back and listen to it again or take notes or anything like that. So be sure and uh, start following Kim. Reach out to her. Tell her what's up. Tell her, you know, if you reach out to her and be like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. You're dope as fuck or whatever the case is. So um, yeah, if you guys need anything, let me know. Um, Otherwise, I really appreciate you being here. Be sure and if you can, please uh, share this podcast with somebody that's coming to mind. Because usually when we talk about stuff like this, it's like, oh, my friend Becky's struggles with that. Oh, or my buddy Joe struggles with that. So like if somebody's coming to your head right now and you got value out of this, do me a favor and send this to them because you're doing your friend a disservice by not giving this information to them, especially if it's helping you. So be sure and do that. Um, be sure and rank and review the podcast on iTunes. If you can, please mean a ton to me. Um, yeah, otherwise I'll talk to you guys later.